Hey there, Ian Over Easy listeners. This is Tanner here to bring in an episode that we recorded live in front of an audience. I know, scary, at the ACOAP 2002 Spring Conference. And it's going to be a little disjointed at times. You're going to see um, some audience members engaging with us. And so uh, while you may not be able to hear every single one of their questions, you'll, you'll get the gist with everything else that's coming up uh, after we talk about it. But these are some very special episodes that we had some great guests on for, and uh, we hope you enjoy them because we definitely did. And without further ado, uh, this first episode is going to be uh, Drew and myself with two special guests talking about being the family doctor. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, EM over easy. That work? Yeah, yeah, works. we're good to go. We're, we're used to our recording mics um, for podcasting, so this is a little different. Also, we can see people, which is different for us. Well, I can kind of see people. Those lights <laughs> over there, are like really, I picked the wrong seat. Yeah, we're definitely uh, more used to people just listening, and we don't actually have to see you. So this is fun. Um, so, for anyone who hasn't listened to us, and I don't blame you if you haven't, emovereasy.com is the website. You can find us on. Uh, all of the podcast Apple, venues, Google, et cetera, Spotify. So we're going to do two segments uh, for, for the rest of the uh, pre-launch hour. And this is going to be a lot of fun, some applicable stuff, some stuff that is just going to be fun. And then uh, feel free to engage with us. Like literally you can shout out and heckle us from the crowd and we'll interact a little bit. So uh, totally cool with that. The, the first topic that we're going to cover is something I think that is really familiar to everybody, which is the idea of being the family doctor. And We've done an episode on this several years ago where we talked about some of our first experiences being the family doctor and how we interact with our family, our friends, our neighbors when they are looking for medical advice. The last two years has completely changed the ball game. I think everyone can recognize that. So we're just going to talk a little bit about some of our stories, some of our experience. Without further ado, I'm going to let everyone introduce themselves real quick again, and we're going to get going on the idea of being the family doctor. Ladies and gentlemen, how are you doing? My name is Christopher Colbert. I've seen you all before. You guys look great. Once or um, twice, right? Yeah, once or twice. Uh, again, the APD at the University of Illinois and uh, the chair of CME for ACOEP. And it's always great to be a guest on EM Over Easy. Hello there. My name is Dr. Christina Giacomino. I'm the assistant ultrasound director at Advent Health in East Orlando. And this is my first time at EM Over Easy, so I'm excited. Welcome to the party. Tanner Gronowski, one of the co-hosts of VM Over Easy, and I do the travel doc gig with USACS uh, for the last five years. So I'm the odd man out from our VM Over Easy crew because I'm not in academics right now. Yeah, and Drew Kellner, one of the other co-hosts of VM Over Easy, and for today, that is the only title that matters. So, <laughs> Tanner, I think you have maybe the most relevant recent story about being a family doc because it's something that you've just been processing. You want to get us started with the idea, and we'll, we'll start the conversation. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm tearing up already, so this is going to be a hot one. Um, so, you know, being the family doc comes in a lot of forms. Um, the, you know, sometimes it's the curbside consult. Sometimes the, it's the, is this laceration need repair? Um, other times you're just helping interpret information. And uh, my, most, my most recent experience with that is, uh, unfortunately, my uncle passed away recently, but it was a really, really strange scenario, and he ended up in the ICU for a long period of time. And so... I became kind of that medical interpreter, um, helping my family, my extended family process what was going on, what was happening, what, 
was realistic and what was hope. Um, and it's, it's a really difficult thing to do sometimes. And I think one of the best things to help prep that is for us to talk about this outside of those moments so you can help prepare yourself so you can be a better asset to your family and friends when they need you. Um, and one of the first things that I think really helped me in this scenario was setting boundaries and knowing when I was available and when I was not. And the easiest way to do that for me since was I only work nights. So I'm on these really weird strings where I'm asleep during the day and awake at night. And that actually worked really well because it gave everyone in the family knowledge that they can text and call, but they're not going to get me. <laughs> um, but then it also created zones where I was available and then I could reach out and say, hey, I have a period of time here. Let me jump on a Zoom call with anybody who's interested. Um, and that, that works, seemed to work pretty well. I, I set the boundary that I'm just never available, so my family just always talks to my wife first and says, hey, can Drew answer a question? That's how I handle that one. But I think the night shift thing works pretty well, too. Yeah. I, don't know. I was going to say, setting boundaries is great, but the family has to respect those boundaries. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure my family would do that. <laughs> well, yeah. They're, they're going to call me anyway, but that's fine. The best boundary is the you know. silence button on your phone, right? So when it, <laughs> when it rings, I just silence it, right? If you really need me, you call again leave a voicemail, send a lot of text messages because I might not read the first one. I mean, that's, that's some of the boundary <laughs> setting I do. Because I would agree with that. And, and for me, I think in addition to this conversation is how do you set boundaries for family members? Because yeah. of all the people that we know, friends from college, neighbors, all that kind of good stuff, your family does this for boundaries. <laughs> oh, I know Chris, that's my uncle. Or I know Chris, that's so-and-so. Um, and I, I think it's very important. Like... It's a gift that we have to be in this position. There's not one person in the audience, there's not one person on the stage that doesn't have a friend or a family member that overstepped those boundaries. <laughs> and you were quiet. You're just like, well, no, I, I can't write for Plaquenil for you. In fact, um, I, I know I watch the news too, but uh, you may want to talk to a different doctor or just talk to a doctor themselves. Um, when it comes to boundaries, I think it's just really important. And to be honest as well is that boundaries kind of wax and wane mm -hmm. based on who you're talking to. And that's honest yeah. because you're going to give your sister a little bit more or your brother a little bit more of a boundary than you do your neighbor. Um, I remember before COVID, the doorbell rang and it was my neighbor going, huh, huh, I ate some peanuts and I was like, call a doctor. Why would you ring my doorbell? <laughs> Somebody called 911 and I just slammed the door. I'm like, I don't think that was appropriate. I was like, I hope if I open it, he's at least standing up. So I, I remember I opened the door and I was like, and I, remember, and I was thinking to myself, dude, you're horrible with boundaries. But the priority was this allergic reaction to these peanuts. And so the question is, in fact, how do we, and so, of course, I'm not going to bring up the boundaries issue at that point, but how do you communicate that and what do we do? And realistically, that's part of the gig. That's part of the gig. What we do is a gift. And other people appreciate our gift sometimes a little bit more when at 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever they want. Because when there's a medical issue going on, to the person with the medical issue, there's no boundary. Right? I mean, there is no boundary. So, I mean, my neighbors will text me a cut of, you know, a picture of their kid who just, you know, try to scalp themselves. What do I need to do? I'm like, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I'm working taking care of other, like, but that's their emergency. So all of a sudden that becomes the most pressing thing for them, right? So some of our boundaries is just, I am not available to be your doctor right now. Different than the scenario Tanner was just talking about, where this is a, a longitudinal experience where there's a lot of things going on. And um, 
looking back at the podcast we had previously, I'd had a recent, I'd experienced now several, several, several years ago, like a decade ago, where my, my father-in-law, uh, stepfather, had a horrible injury and ended up passing away. And I was the only one in the family that had any medical knowledge. And it was a basilar artery bleed from a freak accident where he slipped on a tennis ball and hit his head. But it was weeks in the neuro ICU at Northwestern Hospital in Chicago while I was in Ohio and traveling back and forth and trying to do that. And that's much different than being the family right. doc, like, hey, I think my kid has strep throat. Can you take a look at them real quick? And, and what do you think? And by the way, to be clear, the only doc that I am not the family doctor of is my own family because I made a mistake once of telling my wife that the kid did not have strep throat. <laughs> and 10 minutes later, the, the result came back with a culture positive strep throat. And I've lost all credibility whatsoever with my family. My wife will never ask me a medical question again. Uh, so, I share yeah. that. Same thing. Yeah. And I, I think they're a carrier, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I definitely, like, I want to make sure, too, that my family and friends do know that I'm available. And I think it's important, like, I get that all the time. They're saying, I'm so sorry, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna bother you. And it's like, no, you can bother me. I didn't go into this much debt to not help family and friends, right? Like, I want to be there to help you because this is what I love to do. But also being able to recognize, and, th and this has taken years to learn over time, is I used to be real gung-ho about, oh yeah, I'll help you, what, what can I do? And, and then over time, you have that experience where it's like, well, can I get antibiotics for this? I think I might have pneumonia, and you're like, uh, I mean, you, you could have pneumonia, but I, I don't know if clinically you actually do. And then you start getting this weird conversation of, I don't really feel like prescribing you antibiotics just because you called me. And so over time you learn what is, you feel comfortable with. And right. I think the more experiences you have with that, your friends and family also get that feedback saying, okay, if I, if I have a true problem, I can ask them, should I go to the doctor or should I get this checked out? That's real reasonable. But if I'm asking you for full-on service, sometimes that might be rejected, and that's okay, too. I mean, I get all the time, hey, I have pneumonia, can I get a pack? And my answer typically is, well, just take Tylenol, because it's not going to do any difference. <laughs> so, I mean, like... And I'm sure that goes over very well. You want doxycycline? Yeah. I, that, I, now we're talking about treatment, right? But <laughs> we're this... talking real treatment now. <laughs> I think what I've had to do, also very similar, I had family that was really sick in the past year, um, and I'm one of the few medical professionals in the family, first one to go to medical school and all that kind of stuff. And I felt like I also had to be their advocate too. Mm. Not only am I their translator, not only am I helping them interpret, but sometimes I was the one that was, that was pushing the other physicians that were treating, that were treating my, my father at the time. And so I think that's also another, another aspect to this is, uh, that's really important. Again, it's a gift for us, right? Because we're in this privileged position. But I think not only just being the interpreter, being the person to call, but also being an advocate for them. Because sometimes pushing, navigating this medical system is not easy. But it, we, we know part of it. So it, we can definitely help with that. That's such an amazing point. I, I remember, you know, a decade ago, uh, we were reviewing the MRI with a neurosurgery fellow for my um, uh, stepfather. And they used the term bright when they were talking about an MRI. Mm -hmm. And we know that bright when we're looking at the brain and this, you know, and the flare that it was and all that, it was a bad thing. Well, I knew it was a bad thing. The fellow knew it was a bad thing. However, the rest of my family has no medical knowledge whatsoever. Here's the word bright. And bright is a positive word, right? I mean, it is sunshine. This is good. Bright means activity, right? That is the interpretation. And so the neurosurgeons leave the room and everyone looks at me and goes, this is great news. Because all they heard was bright. The rest of the news, which was reported, is this is not good. And everything else that happened was bad. And now I have to not only process it myself, right, right and realize what is going on, but now I have to let them know that what they heard is good is, in fact, really, really bad. And that, 
is a hard dynamic mm-hmm. to get into. I mean, how do we, how do you manage yourself as you're managing other people? I mean, I was crushed, right? right? But had to put on that straight face and go, no, no, no. And here's why. And so, then watching the lunchbox letdown. We had a talk about that at our shop because of that. It's because there was something to be said, Officer, everyone here and everyone in the room is that we are asked to navigate situations with family members that are just difficult for anyone to navigate because it's also your family member as well. Yeah. So how do you comfortably draw that line between the sick patient who's also your sick aunt, your sick mother, your in some capacity? And there's no easy way you can draw that line, but what we identified was just having a conversation. It's just acknowledging. Um, because it's, it's a shared experience that everyone in this room has had. I guarantee you everyone in this room has had that shared experience. Um, and the best we can do, and, and those experiences are unique. Mm-hmm. They're very unique. However, it's still in that same, we have a gift, and everyone in the family thinks that because of this gift, we have the answers. But in that same category, we're also human beings who possess a gift. And in those situations, we don't have the ambulance bay or the EMS room to run into for five minutes to compose ourselves, right? I mean, when I have something happen and I just need a minute to myself, I walk outside unless it's, you know, a a mid-Ohio blizzard and uh, just take a minute to process, right? To think, because nobody else is out there. They leave me alone. Or or if I can't, I sneak into the EMS room assuming there's no EMS people in there because that's like a, that is my private, you know, spot to process. But when you're dealing with your own family, you're not in our four walls in the emergency department where we have our hideaway, where we can escape for a few minutes. And so we have to find that or, or set that boundary. And that's a really difficult boundary to set. And I think part of it also is, part of it's on us too, because you know I feel obligated to be that person for my family, right? They supported me through all the years of training and everything, and supported me in everything that I was doing. But I think we also have to give ourselves permission to be just the family member. Absolutely. Right. You have to, I think it's a mental thing for us as well. That, like, we feel like we're obligated to be that, but I think we have to give ourselves permission to, to also step down from that role as well and just be family. But I think we need, we need that as well, even for our emotional and mental health, I think. I, I 100% agree with that. Um, my, it's been a rough year. My grandfather passed away uh, this past summer, and he, the, I, I was able to use the medical side of things to actually help me process that because I was strictly just looking at it from the family member side of things. And he was in hospice, and, and I knew it wasn't going well because I know what I know, and I, like, I know it's going to happen soon. And um, it was really, really hard for me to go there. I didn't want to. I didn't want to see him like that. I didn't want to have that mental picture. I wanted to keep that perfect image in my head. So for, personally for me, it was really, really hard to to book that plane ticket and go there. And I got there and it was hard to walk in the room. It's hard to take those steps because you're the, you're the family member. But then the hospice nurse is there and she's about to give some medications and one of my aunts leaves over and goes, what is that? And I was like, oh, and I explain what that medication is and what it does and why they're giving it. And it was like, it opened me up and got me into a little bit of a groove. Like, oh, I can help explain here. And then I, another family member had another question. And so then, I was able to kind of relax and just enjoy where I was and be part of the process, kind of like when we're in the ER with a really sick patient and we're talking with a family member of that patient, able to use that to kind of have that little bit of calmness to us that allows us to stabilize out. And it helped me take those steps to get there and and enjoy the process, both as a family member and as a physician. We ought to, I think there's a question.
it's hard. I mean, we're, we're specialists in the first 10 minutes of resuscitation, right? And then we don't know the rest of medicine. Let's be honest with ourselves, right? I mean, I can do anything for 10, 15 minutes, but I don't, I don't do neurosurgery, right? I don't treat, I pretended like I treated cancer patients yesterday, but I don't treat cancer patients, right? I mean, these are, this is not our specialty. And we're trying, we are learning oftentimes medicine while we're guiding somebody else through medicine. And, and you make a great point, which is, when we say family doctor, we're not talking about our, our blood family all the time. I mean, this is our, our work family, our neighborhood family, our, our connections. I mean, I, my department just lost a nurse of 30 plus years, retired firefighter that was a nurse, and it happened very, very fast with a reoccurrence of his cancer. And I was on shift when we got the Facebook notification from his kids that he had passed away. And we, I mean, we knew he was on hospice and it had, I mean, I cried at the charge nurse desk. Right? I mean, there's nothing medically I can do at that point. Obviously, the things are done, and, and, but I mean, we just we crowded out together, and it's kind of like everyone still looks at you as the physician, the leader of the department, to how are we going to process this? How are we going to go see that next patient in the emergency department after we just dealt with the personal loss? It's hard. I think that's one of the phrases. I, I don't know who said this or if this is a common phrase, but it's you want to, we should strive to be that doctor that the nurse wants to come ask that personal question about. We should be that doctor that the nurse at, or calls in and says, what doctor is on? Who is, is, is it worth me coming into the ER right now because so-and-so's on? And not because we need to break down our boundaries, but more so because we are the type of doctor that's approachable and accessible and they feel comfortable with. Like that's such an honor to have someone that's willing to share those intimate details with their medical life with you. Nothing gives me more pride in myself is when the charge nurse comes and finds me and says, hey, I'm going to put so-and-so's kid, wife, husband, family member on your side of the ED, right? When there's multiple pods open, because it gives you that sense of satisfaction that, you know what, I, I'm one of the docs that they're cool with me taking care of them or their family or whatever. I mean, that, that is like the penultimate of I've, that is better than any email award. Yeah, I don't, whatever, I don't. like somebody actually has faith in you. Because there aren't many. Let's be fair. I mean, <laughs> I'm glad you I mean, picked up my, what I was my, going for there. <laughs> again, my wife won't even let me, you know, like provide any medical care to my family. So yeah, I got to find find it somewhere. Any before we switch to maybe a little more more fun, uh, happy uh, topic. Any any closing thoughts? Any tips and tricks you all think uh, we can do to manage better? And maybe the elephant in the room that we haven't addressed is over the past two years, being the family doc involved dealing with just a lot of information, right? I'm going to be careful with the word misinformation because we recognize that right now it's just still a lot of information, right? But how we process and deal with all that. No, I mean, it's just everyone, I mean, every, all of us are different. So, you know, through the sea of life, we're going, to have to, we're going to have to figure out what boundaries are comfortable for us. We're going to have to figure out when we can forgive ourselves. We're going to have to figure out when we can, you know, step down from our roles and, and allow ourselves to just be family or to just be a friend or you know, when we have to feel like we have to step up because we may be the only ones available to step up for some of these people as well. And so it's all going to just going to be, you know, what's your level of comfort? Where are, where are you at in life? Because your, your level of comfort is going to change over time and to give yourself permission to, be, to change as life changes. I got nothing to add. That was really well done. That, that, that was done. That was very well stated. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was perfect. All right, being the family doc, something we all have we to got a, We got a question over there. a lot of what we I mean I think that's the the summary of what we're saying is in emergency medicine we make decisions and you're exactly right 
we, we decide a lot of action. I mean, sometimes it's shared decision-making, but it's decisions. When it comes to making these kind of decisions, we're not making it. We're providing information. And we get to be the educated person in the room making recommendations, analyzing, and whatnot. And, and I have, I mean, I, I am very firmly on one side of the COVID camp. And I have family that is on the exact opposite side. And at one point, I responded to a couple emails and I said, I'm happy to continue to engage with this conversation, but within boundaries that I am going to set. I will not accept resources from fringe you know, medicine, if you're like, there, there's things I just, I can't engage. And if you want to believe in that and that's, and, and that's what you think is true, that's fine, but it's not what I think is true and we have to come to a middle ground, right? And, th and that's not making a decision, that's just agreeing on a set of rules of engagement, right? And I don't know, we'll find out decades down the road who is right and who is wrong, right? I mean, I have feelings, we all have feelings, right? But I, I wasn't here to make enemies with my family, but I can only, you can only engage so much, right? Just as when family members are making decisions about cancer treatment and other forms of treatment that you might feel very strongly about, you can only engage so much if they're not willing to hear what you're saying, right? And at the end of the day, we might be wrong, they might be right. It's, hard, it's a hard situation. Active care versus just participating in the patient making decisions for themselves. It's a, it is a slippery slope, and you have to be very, you know, it goes back to writing prescriptions, sending prescriptions for friends and family and all that. I mean, that's, that's a slippery slope to go down, and that's something, it's all about personal risk and liability. What are you willing to accept, and, and what's your relationship? But you never know until something goes south. So, those are great points. One of the things I've done for 30 plus years uh, in dealing with patients. I tell the patient, I'm treating you like I would my own family member. And I would not do anything different for you than if you were my brother or my sister. And this is the information. I don't believe in arm twisting. I don't believe in coercion. I believe you give people information. They can make the decision even to the point of death. Okay? I'm okay with that. The other thing is, is when family or friends show up, I treat them as a patient. And I don't, I don't try to people please. I don't try to cut corners. I say, if you were a patient, this is what I would do for you. Same information, everything else. And I think you have those kind of, you talk about the nurse that wants to come and see you. They want to come and see you because they know you're going to sit down, treat them as an individual, treat them as a family member. And you're going to educate them, give them information, and do what is in their best interest which is the definition of love. And I think whether they're family or whether they're patients, you know, if you do what is loving in their best interest, regardless of what either you or they feel about it, okay, you're going to provide good care. So to go off of what you said, um, so I had a patient, I used to always say that. I, I would say, hey, you know what, I'm going to treat you like I would treat my family member. And the patient said, which family member? <laughs> and, and I didn't know what to say. And I was thinking, do you know my family? And he goes, well, because I don't like my brother. And I'm like, ooh, that's a good point. I was like, well, I don't know your brother. I'm saying man family. And he was like, oh, okay then. And I was like, well, that's a win. It's, thank God I don't know your brother. But um, I'm going to treat you like my aunt or uncle. And so I stopped saying after that because it was just, it was just a pop quiz because they were asking which family members I would treat very well. I was like, I never really thought about it like that. And that's where 
obviously my assessment of my patient was poor because I obviously didn't take the time to speak to the patient because I should have said, hey, how are you doing? What are your allergies? Have you any surgeries? What family members do you not get along with? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to show you like my cousin's second removed who I can't remember their name anyway, right? So, I mean, Touché. I care for them. Well played. But well played. That's, <laughs> that's such a great, succinct way to kind of summarize, though, everything. Like, treat your family like your patient that you're dedicating your practice to and treat your patients like your family that you're wanting to love. And I, it's just, that's a, that's a beautiful way to look at it. I like that. That's the definition of care. Yeah. Period. Ooh, now we're yeah, going to. Now we're going to. <laughs> better than ever myself, probably. Yeah, be yeah, better. Hey, everyone. Tanner here again. And that is a wrap on our first live session at the ACOAP 2022 Spring Seminar Conference. I hope you enjoyed it. Over the next several weeks, you're going to be hearing episodes similar to this. And if you like what you're hearing, please check us out at emovereasy.com and follow us on our various websites and blog sites such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You know the drill. Thanks, everybody, and hope you have a great day.